All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles today, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, put a marker there, and then turn over to 1 Corinthians 12. So uh, 1 Corinthians 14, put a marker there, put a, put a finger there or something. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get there later, uh, but then over to uh, 1 Corinthians 12. So if you're unfamiliar, it's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. So it's right after the Gospels there in the Romans. I'm finishing up a teaching series uh, on the Holy Spirit, and I, I hope that you have found this series to be helpful and edifying, encouraging to you, answering some uh, questions uh, on your walk with the Lord. And so far in this series, uh, we've learned that the Holy Spirit, He is God, He is person, he, and He's a teacher helper. And then we learned that the Holy Spirit indwells, He baptizes the believer, and then He fills believers. Uh, and then last week, we learned what it looks like to live with the Spirit's power and uh, to walk with the Spirit, as Scripture says, and we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, the, the, the fruit that the Holy Spirit bears in our lives as we allow Him to work uh, and uh, move in our lives. Now, this week, the title of this message is very similar to the title of last week, but it's I changed one word in it, and it's living by the Spirit's power. Last week was living with it, today we're living by it. So the Holy Spirit gives us gifts to empower uh, the church for Christian service, to empower the believer for service. Um, but sometimes uh, we don't understand the gifts, uh, what they're for, uh, and then we've seen gifts used wrong, right? Uh, and so we don't want to do that. Uh, and so we gravitate toward the ones, uh, we stay away from others, and then the debate happens. Now, uh, today I'm not going to, there are, uh, at least 19 or so, uh, gifts, uh, gifts of the Spirit that, uh, that is mentioned all throughout the New Testament. Today I'm going to be exegeting out of 1 Corinthians 12. So I'm only going to be addressing the ones that Paul is talking about there. So I'm not going to be able to, to talk about all of the gifts, but I just want you to know there are several. I'm just going to name them for you real quick. And you might look, oh, I know. I remember that one. That one's, that one's mine. Uh, there's administration. There's uh, uh, apostleship, or uh, that would be uh, what we would consider missionary, going and telling. Uh, discernment of spirits, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, teaching, and wisdom. So those are the ones, those are the different gifts that we can extract from the New Testament. And they're in different places. Um, but we need to know what the Holy Spirit is given out. We need to know what he's distributing. Uh, and so that we can take part of it and understand. And so that we can live by the Spirit's power. Um, do you realize that in Paul's letters, so he, he wrote multiple letters. He wrote to the churches. Uh, the, there's the book of Romans and, uh, then the, the, the first, second Corinthians. He, he writes to, uh, the Th Thessalonians. Um, and, uh, but there were three things that he mentioned within those books, within the various letters. There were three things that he said, I don't want you to be ignorant about. I don't even be ignorant of. Uh, in Romans, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about God's plan for, for Israel. He talks about that in Romans 11 
in chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant on the thing, the gifts of the Spirit. And then later in Thessalonians, he talks about, I don't want you to be ignorant on the second coming or uh, the second coming of Christ. So he talks about those various things. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant on them. I want you to learn about them. I want you to mature in understanding these things because they matter in how we live our lives. They matter. Uh, so we're going to focus today on Paul's teaching about spiritual gifts. Now, first thing I want to do is I want to give you a little background about what's happening in the church in uh, Corinth so that you can understand the context. And Carolyn and I have actually been to Corinth. And so we've laid eyes on the city of Corinth. We've kind of walked where Paul walked there. And, and it, it's quite interesting. And it, it can shape your understanding of the scripture. Now, Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthian church, the one that we're about to read from, in about 55, year 55 AD. Um, that was about 23 years um, after Pentecost in Acts 2. Okay, after that, so it's been a couple of decades and some change since that's happened. Now we have this uh, church in Corinth and that he's writing this letter to. By the way, Paul established this church on a previous missionary journey uh, there or a few years earlier. Okay, now the Corinthian church was made up of Gentile converts. Okay, so there were no Jews here in this area. It was all Gentile uh, converts, and they were facing some problems. They were having questions. They had some divisions in the church over various issues, and one of which was confusion with them about spiritual matters, and it included the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and, and, the, and then the proper form of worship. How are we supposed to conduct ourselves when we come together? In other words, they were struggling. They were trying to figure some things out. They were working through their beliefs and understanding. But you have to know, though, the culture, the context in which they were living in, which, by the way, isn't much different than the context of culture that we're living in today. See, Corinth was wealthy. It was a wealthy city, but it was very wicked. Um, it was uh, a port city, so it, it was right there. A lot of merchants coming in, a lot of trade sea routes coming in. Now, when you have people coming in from all over different places of the world, you've got people, and what else do you have coming in with people? All of their religions, their ideas, their superstitions, all of that's coming into the city of Corinth. So there were so many pagan practices all over the city. There were numerous temples, and, and I've seen them. They were beautiful, breathtaking temples to uh, Greek, to the Greek gods, uh, to uh, the Roman gods, uh, including there's this massive temple um, uh, of the goddess Aphrodite. Have you heard of, heard of that? Uh, which employed uh, 1,000 ceremonial prostitutes. Now, uh, not only was their job to do prostitution, but they're, they're, they would lead people um, to, uh, to the temple. And interesting, this is just a sidebar because this is cool. What they would do is they had an inscription on the bottom of their sandals, and when they would walk, they would, it, and it said, follow me. And so they would walk around the streets of Corinth, and they would seductively, and they would pick up their feet, and it'd say, follow me. And they would lead people to this uh, temple uh, for uh, prostitution. So there was some corruption there. It was widely accepted. It became part of the norm. Now, what is the tendency within the church, especially a baby brand new church with in a Gentile church with no background? What could be the tendency to happen to this church with the culture? 
the culture starts to come in, to leak in. It's almost inevitable. And that's what was happening here. And they were having to work through this. They were, they were struggling. And Paul wrote this letter of encouragement to them. Now, 1,968 years later, approximately, here we sit. And some of the same problems that they were facing then, some of the same confusions that they had then, some of the same infiltration of the culture that they were having then, we're having now. So it's critical to understand how this applies to us. Let's see what we can learn. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading of God's word. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1, going through verse 11. But before we do, I'm going to, we're going to pray, ask the Holy Spirit to lead us as we um, read scripture together. Father, this is your word. Go forth, send your word forth. And Lord, we, we ask for you to work and move. Teach us the truth, Lord. I empty myself of myself, and I ask you to fill me to overflowing in this moment. Would you anoint your servant servant, to speak in boldness and humility to your people in a way that honors you and brings glory to you in every way? Strengthen this church, God. We desperately need you, and I don't want to say or do anything without you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing. Here we go. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your questions about the spiritual abilities that the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. I don't want you to be ignorant of this, some translations say. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. You you, you know that that was your past life. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord, and in translation, that is that Jesus is my Lord. In other words, they can't declare that Jesus is their Lord and Savior except by way of the Holy Spirit, okay? Just know that that's that context. Verse 4, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord, and God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in an unknown tongue or unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. If you want to live by the Spirit's power and you're taking notes, here's point number one. We cannot be ignorant of the spiritual gifts. We cannot be ignorant of the spiritual gifts. Now look back at verse one. He tells us that. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your questions about the special abilities that the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this, he says. Don't don't misunderstand. I, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Now, before we go any further, I just want to say this word ignorant, okay? Um, it simply means 
a lack of understanding. It's not a derogatory term. Uh, we can be ignorant about things, and it, it doesn't mean that we're stupid. That's not what it means. So uh, there are these things we don't know about. I'm ignorant about that. I'm ignorant about uh, mechanics. I'm ignorant about that. Now, you've heard the saying, ignorance is bliss, right? And in some cases, ignorance is bliss. I mean, I'm telling you, there's just some things I don't want to know about. I'm better off if I don't know it. I'm happier that way. Life is simpler that way. Uh, but here's what I know about this. Ignorance can often breed fear. And if we fear something, what do we have the tendency to do? We stay away from it. We run away from it. If we fear something, we don't want to be near it. Okay, so it can breed fear. So, so we cannot be ignorant about the things of God. Ignorance of the things of God does not equal bliss. Okay, it'll equal frustration and confusion and chaos is what it will equal. Uh, and so we can't be ignorant of the gifts of the spirit. So because they are gifts that help us live victorious lives, it sets us up for victory as Christ followers. That's, that's what it does. See, what happens is the enemy will lie to us and he'll get us to try to fear and stay away from spiritual gifts or stay away from things that God has pro clearly promised to us. And if it's from God, is it good? It is good. If it's from God, it's good. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, 2 says, you know that when you were still pagans, you were Gentiles, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. See, so because of their background, because of their upbringing, this mix of cultures, various religions coming into the scene, their practices of the day, there were just some things that they just didn't know. They were ignorant of, they were confused about, and it's, but it's evident that these believers were operating in the gifts or trying to. They were trying to do that, but they needed clarity for maturity and growth in this area so that they understand. That's the same way it is for us. See, it's so easy for us to take our experiences or lack of, if you're like me, uh, and or our superstitious views or the cultural views and bring it in, try to bring it in to understand the gifts of the Spirit or spiritual things in general, which we, we can't do. So what do we need to know about the gifts? Now, I'm about to ready, ready to scare some of you. Are you ready to be scared just a little bit? <laughs> you know, bring it on. Okay, here's point number two. It's going to scare you, but I'm going to explain it. The gifts are charismatic and energetic. The gifts are charismatic and energetic. This is so fun. <laughs> and I hear, uh-oh, Daniel, you've gone too far now. Uh, now, let me explain what I mean, and then you'll calm down. Uh, the term charismatic carries a range of meanings, doesn't it? Okay. We typically think that charismatic is a, a, a we, we think of a person, a charismatic person, someone who has just a lot of personality and appeal. We think of a charismatic person. Uh, or uh, when we use the word charismatic in church circles, okay, we can think of uh, the charismatic movement. Okay, that's what I think of sometimes. Uh, and we can associate that with things that we have seen on TV or things that we've seen. We can think of charismatic extremes. We can often tie sensationalism, emotionalism with that, and even chaos sometimes. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Because of human error and immaturity and ignorance that we, that are to me, are very typical of movements, by the way. 
we have distanced ourselves from the truth of the matter. In other words, often because of some bad experiences or ignorance or someone's immaturity and and whatever, see, sometimes we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And that pendulum that was an extreme over here swung all the way over here. And that's where, because we wanted to get far away from something that we knew is wrong or operated wrong. You get what I'm saying? But the thing is, what does the word of God say? That's what I want to know. I want to know what the word of God says about this. How do I rightly divide this? How do I understand? And that's what Paul wanted them to know. They're like, don't listen to your culture. Your culture has counterfeits. They're going to do it wrong. They're going to do it wrong. There's grace for that. But there's the truth. Let's learn the truth. All right, so let's take a look. Verse four four and five. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts. Underline that word, those two words, spiritual gifts. But the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who works in all of us. Now, this Greek word for the word gifts, spiritual gifts, in this passage is the word charisma. That's the word, charisma, charismata. When the Greeks used this word charisma in a sentence, they were not referring to charm or personality or sensationalism or emotionalism. That was not in the vocabulary of this word for them. That wasn't it. In the Greek, charisma means properly the operation of grace. Right here, it is the grace endowment to edify the church. A spiritual gift is a grace endowment to edify and strengthen the body. That's what it is, spiritual gift. So this grace gift divinely empowers a believer to share God's God's work with others. Spirit-empowered service to the church to carry out his plan for his people. So listen, when you're operating within the gift that God has given to you, by biblical definition, you will be operating with spiritual charisma. Now, You might not have thought about it this way before, but we actually know that. We know that in our knower. Here's why we'll say that. Have you ever been in a service um, and you just, the pastor was uh, anointed or the musician was anointed and you said, man, that message, that pastor was anointed. That song was anointed. That person was anointed. There was power in that message. There was power in that word. That spoke to me. There was something about that. Even if you didn't understand what the word meant, the, what you were describing is your identification in your knower, in your spirit, that someone has been anointed by God and is operating in a power of the spirit, a charisma of the spirit you've we've all witnessed that you've recognized that we know that now look at verse uh five and six first corinthians 12 5 there are different kinds of service but we serve the same lord god works in different ways but it is in the same god who does the work in all of us now i'm going to break this apart this is teaching so bear with me okay service there that word service in that passage is the word ministries okay all right, it specifically it specifically refers to spirit-empowered service guided by faith. It's the same word we get our word deacon from. It's diakonos, okay? So it's it's a, a servant. So a service that the church does, a ministry that the, the church does, persons within the church. Then the word works here is the word energima. Now, what does word does that sound like to you? Energy, okay. And that's exactly what it is. It's where we get our English word energy from, and it means miraculous powers. 
So here's how you could read that, that passage. I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to read it with those definitions in there. There are different kinds of ministries, but we serve the same Lord. God works miraculous powers in different ways, but it's the same God who does the miraculous powers in all of us. You see how that, you see what I'm getting at? Okay. In other words, when the Holy Spirit plugs a spiritual gift into a ministry service, you get supernatural powerful results. You follow me? That's what that means. When the Holy Spirit is freed to operate in your life, when you're operating in the gifts of the Spirit and you are by faith, you're receiving what He has to offer and you're giving what you got. When you're doing that, no matter, listen to me, no matter what your personality is, you might be the driest person on planet Earth. No matter what your personality is, the ministry will provide that you provide will be spiritually charismatic and will produce supernaturally energetic results. It doesn't matter what your personality is. Now, let me tell you in a story so you know what I mean. An example. In July of 1741, this is a true story, by the way. In July of 1741, a congregation gathered for a service. The congregation was described by an attendee as thoughtless and vain, and the atmosphere was said to have, they had no readiness or seriousness, nor there was not even a normal polite attentiveness. Talk about a tough crowd. That's, that's, a rough, that's a rough church. They just didn't come ready. They didn't care. The preacher that day was a last-minute stand-in by the name of, you're going to recognize this name, by the name of Jonathan Edwards. You heard that name? Jonathan Edwards was described as a speaker with good grace, easy delivery, but he was very solemn. He was just very solemn in his. He, uh, when I studied Jonathan, um, I, I read it was interesting. He and I are actually a lot alike in the ways that we prepare our messages. He gave, I mean, just a lot of attention in preparing. He was the cross the T's, dot the I kind of guy. He did, he did all a, a, a lot of prep work and he would write his, he would mostly read his manuscript. He wrote out everything he wanted to say and he, he had it in front of him or he would write it on little piece slips of paper that he could keep in his hand so that when he moved for away from the manuscript, he'd have it right there so he could see. So he always just, so he would, they said, uh, eyewitnesses said he'd walk away sometimes, but he would, he would write out everything that he'd have to say. And so he, he had a lot of grace. He was poised, but he was very solemn. Now, um, as a last minute stand in, Jonathan Edwards, as the story goes, was not, he did not prepare a specific message for this congregation that day, but instead he preached a message. He recycled a message that he had preached before at his own church a couple of weeks ago. The message was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You heard of that message before? Now, when he preached that before at his church a couple weeks ago, nobody came to the altar there was no frou-frou in the service. It was just pretty solemn. Nothing happened. But this time, it would be different. There was an eyewitness account that states this. I'm just going to read it. As Edwards was delivering this message, the Holy Spirit fell on the service, and the people listening shrieked and cried out, What shall I do to be saved? Oh, I'm going to hell. Oh, what shall I do for this Christ? 
And the crying and the weeping, it said, became so loud that Edwards was forced to discontinue the service. He couldn't even finish preaching the message. This church service, this very one I'm talking about, with this pastor and this sermon is recorded in history as the birth of the first great awakening in America. Solemn Puritan preacher, a dead congregation, a recycled sermon, but the spirit charisma lit a revival in that day that changed a nation. Do you get what I'm talking about now? When, so when I say the spiritual gift is has charisma and energetic, has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the gift. It has everything to do with what the Holy Spirit does with the gift. So the gifts are charismatic, yes. The results of the ministry will be miraculous energy, energetic power, but it will be the power of the Holy that the Holy Spirit brings about, not power that you bring about. Here's the third thing. Gifts are to bless others. That's what they're for. Gifts are to bless others. The fruits for us, they're for our walk. The gifts bless others. They're to use for other people. Look at verse seven. A spiritual gift is given to us, each of us, so we can help each other. Uh, now, I want to take a look at some of these gifts that were used to bless each other. Now, remember what I said. This is not an exhaustive list. So if you don't hear your gift, you don't hear one of the gifts, don't worry. I didn't forget them. I just am going to exegete what he says in this passage. Now, look at this. Verse 8 through 10. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. To this, the same Spirit gives great faith to another, to someone else, the Spirit that gives the gift of healing. His, he gives one person the power to perform miracles, another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another Spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in an unknown language, while another Spirit is given the ability to interpret what is being said. Let's start with the gift of wisdom. All right, so I'm just going to go through these and briefly and just give you some biblical examples. The gift of wisdom in its definition, is the unique ability to see and speak wisdom from God's point of view. And it can be especially in an important situation. Okay, um, Sometimes the gift can manifest in, you, you, you've ever been in a situation where um, you just, you just, somehow you don't know how you did it, but you just said the right thing and you did the right thing in the right moment and you know you walked away knowing, okay, that wasn't me. That was the Lord doing that work, okay? God can give us, uh, he gives can give us words of wisdom, things that we say in that right uh, good counsel in the moment, okay? Uh, Acts 6, 8, we see the man named Stephen. He was, it says he was full of God's grace and power. He was performing amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some of the men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. So Stephen gets in a debate with some of these scholars, and they were there were Jews from different places there, Serene, Alexandria, Sicilia, the province of Asia. And look at this. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Okay, so there's an example. Then there's words of knowledge. Uh, this Greek word is, it just literally means knowing. It means that you, you know. Now, but it does not talk about uh, a, an, a head knowledge. It's not talking about you read a book and you get knowledge, or I read the Bible, I know what the Bible says. It's not talking about that kind of knowledge. Uh, it's a word of knowledge, okay, in the original, word of knowledge. 
Um, and word here indicates a reason, a word, a specific word, a reason, or a plan. Okay, so it's where the Holy Spirit is giving a specific word for somebody, a reason, or a plan. Um, uh, in Acts five eleven, we see Peter received a word of knowledge concerning the lies Ananias and Sapphira had made. Do you remember when he said when they came up and uh, he says, "Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit?" See, the Holy Spirit gave him that word of knowledge. There, there, there was no interaction uh, before that moment. Acts nine eleven, God gave Ananias a different Ananias. Apparently, Ananias was a very common name uh, back then because there are three different kinds. None of them are related. But in Acts nine eleven, God gave Ananias a word of knowledge by giving distinct information about how to find Paul. Remember when Saul was on the road to Damascus? He was changed to Paul. He was there. He had scales on his eyes. And and remember that the Holy Spirit visited Ananias and he said, go to go here and here's what you're going to find when you get here. Lay hands on him, pray over him so the scales fall from his eyes because he's got to go preach. And so the Holy Spirit gave Ananias a word of knowledge exactly where to find, find Paul and what to do when he found him. He gave him a plan. That's a word of knowledge. In Acts 10, Cornelius, remember this, was given a word of knowledge through a vision and uh, about uh, and from an angel about Simon Peter. Remember Cornelius that, that said that Peter's going to come, and when he comes, listen to what he has to say. That's a word of knowledge that God gave to him. John 4, Jesus had a word of knowledge about the Samaritan woman at the well. When he was able to tell her everything that she had ever done in her life. You're not married? Yes. You know, you got five husbands. So Jesus had a word of knowledge. He operated there as well. Now, here's a warning. Listen, this is exciting. Are you excited? I'm excited. This is good stuff. This is a good message. We must have, listen, here's a warning. We must have discernment in not only giving a word, but receiving a word of knowledge. Now, we got to be mature about this. Remember that God is not the only source of a supernatural of supernatural knowledge. You following me? Fortune tellers, those associated with the occult in some way, can also receive supernatural knowledge. But where does it come from? Satan. And that word, even if it's true, it will be to deceive you. It will be to deceive you. It will be to divert you from the truth of the word of God. If you dig down, and it might sound good, and it might be, it might be. Oh, that's pretty right on. Listen, over the years, I've had people come to me and say, "I've got a word for you." Okay. There have been some times, and I, I think most mean well, that they've had to, they've, they've said this, whatever this word is, and I didn't, I did not, my spirit did not agree with that word. There was one time particularly, and I don't suggest this uh, for you, but there was one time that it was so, so it, it was a word and they said, this is a word, Lord, to you. And I said, no, it's not. And I rebuked that word. I told them, I rebuked that word. I do not accept that. And they even use scripture. I'm not like, I'm sorry. Um, but most of the time, there's we need to have grace for people and we need to just say, thank you for your word. If it's something that's not applicable, or something that you need to pray about. And so often I'll just say, thank you for that word. I'll, I will pray about that. Okay. So understand just a warning and being smart about how to receive if someone has a word, uh, say they have a word from you. Um, and remember, um, yeah, well, uh, that's it. So we'll, um, we'll move on. There's, then there's great faith. Um, a unique ability to trust God against all circumstances as Peter did when he, he walked out of the boat on water. Um, 
Acts 6, 5, there, that scripture says that Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Stephen stood in great faith. Um, this is one thing that I, 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 I share. There, a character, one of the characteristics of, of some of our, one of our elders is that they have a distinctive gift of strong faith. And I tell you, when, when we're around the table and we're praying and pouring our heart about on the things, the matters of the Lord. And see, I can think, my, my brain can think of this, all the scenarios, and I can go down these rabbit trails of all the wrong things that can happen and all that stuff. I'm telling you, when you got somebody with strong faith sitting around the table that said, no, no, God is going to be, he is going to go ahead of us. He's got this. We're going to go. We're going to go. You want those kind of people around you. And I'll tell you more than one time, that's encouraged me and it's picked me up on my feet as your pastor. Then there's the gift of healing. This is God's power to cure, remedy, and heal. Luke 5, 17, the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. And you're like, yeah, he was with God. But listen, remember God was, he emptied himself of his divine nature, scripture says. He was, yes, he was fully God, but he was fully man. And he chose to operate under the power of the spirit of God. He chose to operate through the gifts. So uh, when Jesus healed, he did so through this gift of the Spirit. And we also see in Acts chapter 5, the apostles, they also operated through this gift as well. Notably, Peter. Remember, there was one time when even Peter passed by in his shadow, even someone that was in his shadow uh, was healed, miraculously healed. So that's a, a gift of healing. Um, then there's miracles. That literally means acts of power. And this is when the Holy Spirit decides to override uh, the laws of nature. Can can our God do that? He created nature. Of course, he can override them at any time. We call that a miracle. Has any of you ever seen a miracle before in your life? Anybody here can testify to a miracle? I'm telling you, everybody has. If you're saved, that's a miracle of God. If you're saved, if you've been born again, that's a miracle. It's a miracle. Now, I want you to note this. Faith, healing, and miracles, that those three often, not always, often work in tandem with each other, okay? Uh, and they're not done on the whim of an individual, okay? So you're just not going to have somebody uh, walk with maturity in, in that. They're just walking around like, yeah, I got the faith. I got the healing. I got, come on. You want it? I got it. I got it. Come on. They're not going to be able to do that. They're not, that's not at their disposal in that way. Um, they're going to be working through the Holy Spirit's going to be working through them specifically. Um, we see these three things working in tandem throughout the Gospels as the disciples went out. We see that. Then there's prophecy. This is the telling forth of God's message in a particular situation, and it's always in accordance with his word and his current work. Um, now, when we hear the word prophecy, um, we can automatically think in terms of predicting the future. Okay, a word of prophecy, I want you to listen, a word of prophecy can certainly be something about a future event, but not always, not always. When the Bible speaks about prophecy within the church, so I'm talking about within the New Testament church, it means literally a message of encouragement, comfort, or strength from God. That is the prophetic gift in the New Testament church. Okay. And it's delivered through a human vessel to another person or persons. Now, how do I know this? Look, 1 Corinthians 14, 3, okay, says, 
but one who prophesies within the church, strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. You see that? Okay. Now, I just want you to note this, and you may have heard this before, and I heard this. Uh, Some define prophecy strictly as preaching, but that's an inaccurate definition of prophecy. The Greek, there is a Greek word for preaching and proclaiming. There is a Greek word for that, kereso. There is a different word for prophesying. Okay. However, however, follow me here. Spirit anointed preaching will often use spontaneous gift of prophecy. They often go hand in hand. Okay. The prophetic gift, and this is just anecdotal. Uh, This is my observation, so take this with a grain of salt, but I also see the prophetic gift being strongly used because it is of encouragement, strengthening, and uh, comfort. Uh, It is used a lot in the prayer ministry of the church in tandem, and you could see that through intercession. You could see how those, those gifts could be used together, the prophetic and the prayer ministry. And they're beautiful when they are. Now, there's the discerning of spirits. Um, often someone will say, I've got the spirit of discernment. Well, that's not a, a specific gift on its own because every believer that has the Holy Spirit should develop a spirit of discernment. But what scripture indicates is it is a spirit as a discerning of spirits, meaning you can tell what's coming at you from the Holy Spirit and what's coming at you from a different source. It's a discernment of, uh, of that. Uh, we see this in Acts 16 when Paul and Silas were in Philippi. We've talked about this story before. Remember, there was a slave girl the, and, and she was possessed with a spirit of divination, the scripture says, and this girl followed Paul and Silas around and she was crying out saying, these men are servants of the most high God and they proclaim the way of salvation. Now, was that statement true? That was a true statement. She kept, she kept proclaiming that uh, over and over again, just follow them around doing that for many days, it says, but Paul greatly annoyed turned and said to that girl, Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And the Spirit came out that very hour. Now this girl, here she was, she was possessed with a spirit of divination, speaking a truth, but guess what? Guess what? um, Guess what Paul knew, the gift he had in that moment. He had a discernment of spirits. He knew that what that girl was saying, something wasn't right about her. Someone right. And so he did that. Um, then there's the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, I, I do not want to put more weight on this gift than any other gift. Okay, that's not, I don't want to do that. However, in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul puts a weight of explanation regarding this gift so that there would be no confusion. So I'm going to instruct accordingly. In fact, in our bylaws and in our in our what how in our discover class we all we take our cue from paul and we say we know that this is an area could be an area of confusion and so we we state uh our position here um i don't know why this particular gift from god has become such a controversial gift i don't know why um i've thought about it and perhaps uh, because its manifestation can seem 
uh, socially awkward, maybe, uh, or it's easily ridiculed and judged. Uh, if you look in the book of Acts 2, when I was reading there, when it first happened, there, there were 120 believers, they were speaking in tongues, and it said that some were amazed, bewildered, perplexed, but then there was a group of other people that ridiculed and made accusations that these people were drunk. Do you remember them saying that? These people must be drunk. And then Peter had to get up and say, no, these people aren't drunk. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, they're not drunk. He had to, had to, to clarify. Nevertheless, this is a spiritual gift given to the church, so it has its place. Now, listen to me. I want you to, I want you to come to grips with this in your mind. The gift of tongues is a spiritual gift from God and has its place within the body. Now, first... There is the ability to the the there is the tongue or ability to speak in another unlearned language where another person can understand. Okay, so in a, another unlearned language. In Acts 2:4, actually on the day of Pentecost, it says, and everyone was present, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and began speaking in other languages, other tongues, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So these 120 believers were actually speaking in actual languages, other dialects of the region that they did not have the ability to speak before. You following me? Okay, because, and how do we know that? Just in reading the passage, we know that they said, we can understand what they're saying in our own dialect. How can this be? So they were given the ability of tongues to speak in a different dialect, and they had not learned that. Okay, that's one. That is one. Uh, why do I think that was the case? Uh, I, um, here's what I've studied, and I agree with most commentators on this, who believe that this variation of tongues in this moment was used as a sign that God had included everyone who believed into Christ's body under the new covenant. I believe that the Holy Spirit gave that gift to it to speak a different language so that other people around would know whatever they're saying, it's for me too. Yeah. Okay. The second use of tongues, uh, it is prophetic, but it has two functions. Okay. So there's the language and then there's the prophetic but the prophetic has two functions. The first and primary function that we see in Scripture is for personal prophetic prayer and praise. Now, remember the term prophetic, what does it mean? It means encouragement, comfort, and strength. Okay? So, and it's personal, so it has no need for interpretation because it's personal and not intended as a proclamation to other people. Okay? The secondary function for the prophetic tongue is edification of the body, which would require an interpreter so that we can under so that everyone could understand. I want to show you. Look in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 2. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pull this thing apart. Y'all okay with that? Okay. <clears throat> or if you have the ability to speak or to pray in tongues. You will be talking only to God. And when we talk to God, what, what is that? Prayer. 
okay? Since people won't be able to understand what you're saying. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. Okay? On the contrast, verse 3, but one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks or prays in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Everybody follow me so far? So now Paul is comparing a personal use of tongues versus a corporate use of prophecy. Okay? Now look what he says in verse 5. He says, I wish you could all speak in tongues. Now, what does that indicate to us? It indicates that not everybody can speak in tongues, right? He says, I wish all of you could. But even more, I wish all could prophesy. Also, what does that indicate? Can everybody prophesy? No, not everybody can. Not everybody has that gift. Okay. And then he says this. Now, I want you to watch carefully. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues for the edification of the body. But a lot of people stop there. But look what it says. You can't stop there. He says, prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you're saying in tongues so that the whole church will be strengthened. Do you follow him there? So Paul isn't saying one gift over another. He's saying the the gift of edification, the prophesying is over the body, that's going to be take prominence over this unless someone is there to interpret the prophetic word of tongues that I would give to the the body in a specific situation, whatever the Holy Spirit would want to do with that and anytime he wants to. Okay, now, so what should we do with this? That's the question then. What do we do with that? What should the proper practice be? He answers that question. Look at verse 12. He says, since you are so eager to have the special abilities that the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. That's what you want. If you're going to seek one, if you want, God, give me this. Ask him for the things that are going to be beneficial to all. But then he says, so anyone who speaks in tongues, if that's been given to you, if, if that's been given, then you should pray or ask also, Lord, give me the ability or give someone the ability to interpret what has been said so that people can know. And he says, for if I pray in tongues, now he's speaking first person. If I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, that's personal, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Okay, I'm still being encouraged. I'm being strengthened personally. I'm being edified personally because it's a prophetic word in my spirit. I'm being strengthened personally, but I don't understand what's being, all I know is the results of that gift. So I, I, if I don't understand this, well, then what should I do? He asked the question, what should I do then? Here's the practice for those who have this gift. If you have the gift, he says, I will pray in the spirit. I'm going to pray in the spirit for the edification and the building up of the spirit. And I will also pray in words that I understand for the edification of what? The mind. I will sing in the spirit and I will also sing in words that I understand. So in other words, he's saying, I'm not going to kick one to the curb. I'm going to do both. I'm going to do both. So the conclusion here is tongues those who have the gift, that has an important place in the devotional life of a believer. 
but it has a limited and a specific place in the corporate life of a church, especially in public meetings. You following me? I want to show you. 1 Corinthians 14, 18, look at this. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Now that sounds conceited, but it's not. That's not what he means. That's just how it's translated. But look at this. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Now, what's the point? The point is the edification of the body. Okay. Now, from this passage, cultivate church. This is where we get the practice of the house. The rules of our house. This is where we pull it from. Let me explain. There are people here in this body who have the gift of tongues. There are people within this body who have the gift of interpretation. Okay. People with this gift. And by the way, I, I do, I do have this gift. Okay. And I use in my personal prayer time, I use that personally with the Lord every day. People with this gift are encouraged to use the gift in their personal prayer with the Lord at any time. Here's a practical way. This gift is used within this body every week. Um, for instance, at our pastor prayer partner time at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning, we have a pastor prayer partner time where people come and they pray for me in preparation for the service. And when we, we're, people are gathered around, we all pray. We had it this morning. And they gather around and people take turns praying in in language, in English. And then I'll be uh, sometimes exercising or using the uh, my prayer language in there so that I can be strengthened and comforted and, and, and edified in preparation to come and do what I'm about to do for you. And others that have that gift. Listen, not everybody in that circle has that gift. But, it's, but they're both used, and it's used in a proper way personally, and it strengthens. It's a strengthening thing. So use that. Strengthen. If you lay hands on, if you have that gift, use it. However, we will conduct our corporate services to edify everyone in a common language that we all understand. Did you hear what I just said? So, see, so it has its place within the body, but as Paul instructs, we'd rather speak, I'd rather speak words that we all understand and we can all benefit from than words that we don't understand. Does that make sense in the practice of it within the body? Yeah. Okay. Then that's all I'm going to say about it. There's one more thing, though. 1 Corinthians 14.1 speaks of a gift that's above every other gift. The most important, you tell me what it is. Love. Many of you know what your gifts are. You're operating in your gifts. And we have people that operate in their gifts out of maturity here. And, and uh, I, I'm glad they use them wisely and with maturity. Um, let me ask you this. Will some of us at some time misuse or misapply a gift? Yes, of course. Why? We're human. And remember, the gifts are not a mark of maturity. If, you, if you're saved 
and and uh, and you get immersed in the Spirit of God, and He's He gives you a gift to use. You can be early on your journey with the Lord, and you can be operating in a gift. And so it's not a mark of maturity. For me, it was later in life. Do you think that God knew our weaknesses when He chose to partner with us and give gift to the body? Do you think He knew what our weaknesses would be? Yes, of course He did. Now, so here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you what he wants you to have and to teach you what he wants you to know and guide you on how to use the spiritual gifts for his glory and for the advancement of the kingdom of God. But most of all, we ought to pray that he give us the gift of love. Why? Why would that be the, among all the other gifts, why would love be the most? What's, what is, you tell me, you tell me what's love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is long suffering. Long is, it's merciful. What else? You know what comes from there. Can you see when dealing with all of the other gifts and what would be required within the body to deal with that? Why love would be at the top and the most important? Do you see that? Do you see that? Do you also remember what he says? If I have all of these other things, but I don't have love, I've got nothing. It's of no value if you do not operate out of love. Here's the last thing. The Holy Spirit owns all the gifts all the time. All the gifts all the time. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12. He says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same God. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does all the work in us. In other words, there is planned diversity within the body of Christ. Isn't that good? There's planned diversity within the body of Christ. Um. Then in verse 11, he says, it is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. I think that's pretty clear, isn't it? Of who distributes the gifts. He does. Now notice there's something interesting about this passage. Um, He keeps saying it's the spirit, the spirit, the spirit gives this, the same spirit gives this, the same spirit gives this, gives this. Now, here, here's he also he explains here. Not everyone will manifest the same gifts. That's not the point. See, so we can't look to the right or to the left and was to be like, well, I don't have that gift. Well, why don't I have that gift? Or we can't say, well, what's wrong with them that they that they don't have that gift? See, that goes both ways, by the way. See, Paul says, don't do that because that's not the point. That's not the point of the gifts. That's not the point. See, don't take your eyes off of the gift giver to make a big deal out of the gifts. Grow up in it and just act in them. Just mature in them. See, be secure in who you are in Christ. Know that you have a place in the body. God has specific gifts for you. He distributes them how he wants to for the purpose of diversity within the body. It's for the health and whole of everybody. The gifts are his business. They're not your business. Areas of service and gifting with the body, guess what? That's his business, not your business. It's not my business. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, God has put each part together in the body just where he wants it. 
your gift and what he's given to you and the way he's put you and how he's given you personality, where you are, you're in the place he wants you right now for the body. Don't look to the right or the left. Grow past that. And God has arranged everything and everyone in the body in such a way that 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says, this makes heart for harmony among the members so that all the members can care for each other. And when we're living by the Spirit's power, when we're living it out, he distributes these grace gifts, the charisma within us, to bring energy and power to encourage others to build his church and to glorify him. To glorify him, that's what they're for. See, it's God's design. God's design for the church, for his church, to be active, for the gifts to be active and working in the body. Now, without it, without it, we will be a dead church. We'll be gathering around a great idea of about the power that raised Christ from the dead. We'll be gathering around that idea, but we will not experience it unless we're living by the Spirit's power. See, that's how we experience that same power that raised Christ from the dead by living by the Spirit's power.